My guess is they filmed that in California, and they could have waited till this week in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and got the uh, same footage. I'm from over that way. It's crazy what's going on over there. So uh, continue to keep. There's lots of things we can pray for. Jesus, we pray for everyone right now, God, that's being affected by the flooding. I would just pray your grace, your peace, and your provision over them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it's not the best transition, but you can never pray enough. So anyways, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. We're continuing in our series called Breakthrough. And the whole idea behind Breakthrough is that when you made a decision to follow after Jesus, uh, he also began to give you some vision uh, and some dreams of what it was that he was leading you into. He didn't just save you so that you could wait to go to heaven someday, but here on this earth, he's called you to make a difference. He's called you to be one of those who's making disciples, who's bringing the gospel of freedom and peace and justice to all of those who are around us and spreading and advancing his kingdom here on earth. But what happens is as you begin to allow God to change you and to transform you and lead you into all that he has for you, you will inevitably come up against different roadblocks and barriers that the enemy will establish in your life to say, you can't go any farther. Jesus is calling you here, but I'm putting up a wall right here and you're not going to be able to pass through it. Well, what happens, though, is Jesus says, I'm going to call you, I'm the God of the breakthrough, and I'm going to lead you through every obstacle and every barrier. I'm going to change and transform your life so that you can be everything I've called you to be and so that you can do everything I've called you to do. There's nothing that can stop Jesus from enabling you to live that kind of a life. So last week, we looked at King David and how the first thing that he did when he became king was he went to the stronghold of the enemy in his land and he confronted it. He said, no longer am I going to allow the stronghold uh, to exist and keep me from having everything God has for me. No longer am I going to let the stronghold be a place where the enemy can launch attacks into my life. But I'm going for a conflict because I'm so sick of this stronghold keeping me from everything God has for me. And this week, what we're going to do is take a look at 2 Kings chapter 13. And this is several generations later, under the rule of King David, because he had that kind of a heart and that determination uh, to be everything God called him to be, uh, there was great blessing and prosperity that was over the nation of Israel. But after he dies, after 40 years of his reign, he passes on, and then a few generations later, the entire nation actually splits into the northern kingdom of Israel, and then you have Judah in the south, and uh, they become enemies of each other. Uh, they start getting harassed by all the enemies that are around them outside of the nation. And they find themselves in a really bad spot. And God raises up different prophets who come along and they continue to call people back to God. They say, you're suffering and you're walking in this way because you've been disobedient, because you've turned your heart away from me and you're following after other gods. But what I'm doing is I'm calling you to return to God so that his blessing can once again be poured out on you and so that you can do everything that I've called you and created you to do. And so at this point, Elisha is the prophet that's uh, kind of speaking to the land and calling everybody back to a place of repentance. And he's at the end of his life, and the king of Israel comes to visit him. And this is what it says in 2 Kings 13, verses 14 through 19. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Now, when he says, my father, my father, it doesn't mean that Elisha is his biological father. What it's speaking to is that Elisha was a godly father figure for the entire nation. He was the one that, you know, like your parents do, is they tell you when you're doing something stupid and tell you to do something right. And uh, they're the ones that will encourage you to do the right things and will bring you discipline and correction when you're doing the wrong things, which made Elisha not a real popular guy all of the time. 
And it's funny that now the king who has like really hated Elisha most of his reign is now like, oh, father, my father, and I'm weeping over you because you're at the end of your life. But he's able to recognize that there was something special about Elisha, that he was a man who God used powerfully. And that's farther revealed when he says, you're the chariot and the charioteers of Israel. What that means is that he was the one who they looked to for strength. That even though they had an army, they had chariots and they had charioteers and horses and foot soldiers and all of that stuff. But every time they went out into battle against one of their enemies who was invading through their borders, they just kept getting beat time and time again. No matter how strong their army was, no matter how hard they tried, they just continued to run into defeat after defeat at the hands of their enemies. But every now and then, Elisha would come and he would pray. And when he would pray, something miraculous would happen. is that God would come and he would fight the enemies of Israel for them. And so what they started figuring out was that Elisha is the best national defense plan that we have. Even though we continue to fail time and time again through our own might, Elisha, because he's been blessed by God and because he's speaking with the power and the authority of God, every time he prays and blesses us, we're able to see victory over our enemies. And it's really key that you understand that as we continue the story, that God miraculously uses Elisha so that every time that he prays and he comes alongside the king of Israel, there's victory in their life. And it continues, and it says in uh, verse 15, Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hands on the bow. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it and he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. So what's happening here? is uh, some of your Bibles, you might say Syrians, you might be wondering what that's about. Uh, Aram's a region, Syrians is a specific people group in that region. So uh, some translations say Aram, some say Syrians. But either way, what's happened is the, the armies keep coming and they keep invading Israel. And at this point where Elisha is in his very last moments of his life, uh, the Syrians are getting ready to attack again. And so what, what he says to uh, Jehoshaphat, I can't remember his name, Jehoshaphat something, so what he says to King Jay, I don't know, my mind just blanks, my apologies. What he says to King Jay is go and get your bow and get your arrows. We're real close, we're on that kind of terms, I can call him that. So he goes and he gets the bow and the arrows and he says draw it back. So he gets the arrow, he notches it, he pulls it back, probably better form than that. I don't think I've ever shot an arrow, but it looks something like that. And he says, uh, he takes his hand, remember Elisha, the man who's like dying in his bed, he takes his hand and he lays it over the hand of King Jay. I'm going to keep doing this because I can't remember his name. Lays it over the king's hand. And you might not think much of this, but it's a, it's, a, it's a symbolic act. Every time Elisha's coming, like he brings people back to life, like he lays on top of dead people and they come back to life. He puts his hand on people to bless them and things happen. So what he's doing when he puts his hand over the king's hand is he's saying that my power and my authority is transferred for, to you for this purpose. That you're not just pulling back of your own strength, you're not just notching, you're not just going out to fight of your own strength and your own ability, but it's going to be my hand that's upon you. And this is how it relates to us now, is that every prophet that we see in the Old Testament is always a picture, it's a preview that we have of who Jesus was going to be and the things that Jesus was going to do. 
Every prophet went around and they called people to repentance. They said, the way that you've been living your life is leading to destruction. It's not the way that God created you to live. So come back, be obedient to God, follow after him, and there will be a blessing that follows you then. And they also performed miraculous signs and wonders to confirm that they were indeed a prophet of God and what they said was true and valid. Uh, what we see in Jesus is he comes on the scene and Jesus comes and it's the same prophetic ministry. He's calling people saying your life is leading to destruction and ruin by following your own natural desires. What you need to do is to follow after God. You need to pursue his kingdom. You need to live as subjects of the kingdom of God. You need to live as citizens of heaven and be obedient to him. It was a prophetic message calling people to the place of repentance and then there were miracles and signs and wonders that accompanied the ministry of Jesus. But Jesus was more than just a prophet. He was more than the greatest prophet. Jesus was God. He's the one who spoke and everything that is was created. Jesus is the one who has eternally existed. Of all of the qualities and attributes about God, that's the hardest one for me to wrap my mind around. The no beginning and no end. God has always been. He's the uncreated one. He's always existed. He's all-powerful. There's nothing that can stop him. There's nothing that he can't do. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's everywhere all at the same time. Jesus is so much more than just a prophet. Even though he fills the office of a prophet and the role of a prophet, he's so much more than Elisha ever was or ever could have been. And this is what really is important for us now, is that Jesus, after he's died, he's resurrected. Think about that. Like Jesus defeated death. That's the big one that we're all going to face, right? Like every single one of us, no matter how much broccoli and kale you eat, we're all going to die one day. Jesus is so powerful and he's so strong that he's able to even defeat death. He's able to defeat sin. And after he's done this, died on the cross and been resurrected, he tells his disciples, you know, he does that whole like, poof, appears through the wall, freak people out, I would totally abuse that power. And says, you know, like, hey, I really am resurrected. I want you to go to Galilee and to wait, and I'm going to appear to you again. And so they go to Galilee, and this is what it says in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I want you to understand what's happened here. They're seeing the resurrected Jesus, who just conquered sin and death. And when they see his presence, like, what, all they can do is worship that's all they can do in front of his presence. It's not, hey, like, should I raise my hand or should I, you know, kneel, should I sing? Like, every single one of them, they don't have a choice. It's just when you're confronted with the glory and the beauty of the resurrected king, all that they can do is worship in front of him. Then it says this, even though they're all worshiping, it says that some of them began to doubt. What is it that they're doubting? Is it that they're doubting that Jesus really was raised from the dead? Are they doubting, you know, Jesus really is the king? Are they doubting whether he's really God? No, it's none of those things. What they're beginning to do is they're beginning to doubt themselves. Have you ever been around someone that was so incredible and so great at what they did that it inspired you and then made you want to quit? Like, I was just hanging out uh, this week. I was down in Atlanta, and Chris Hodges, who uh, started... Um, Church of the Highlands, 17 years ago, he came and he was one of the people that spoke to us. It's a small group of guys. I'm telling you, like, it's the smallest room Chris Hodges has probably ever been in. I'm sure that like, his bedroom's bigger than the room that we were in and there's more people in it. 
And so it's an incredible opportunity, and he comes, and just for three hours, he's just downloading us. Like, this is what he's done. His church, uh, they started out 500 people. Their first Sunday, within six, within six years, uh, they had been, like, so many people, and they never taught on giving or anything like that. But in six years, they had $18 million saved up cash in the bank that they then used to purchase their, build their first building cash. Like, no debt for it. Like, oh my goodness, that is insane. They have over 20,000 volunteers on their team right now. In 17 years, they've grown to over 40,000 people with 18 different locations. They're in over 20 correctional facilities in the state of Alabama. Like, they are doing incredible things. We are an ARC church plant. He started an organization called the Association of Related Churches and uh, to train up church planners and help them get going in a healthy way. Uh, we went to that. We're a part of that. He started over 500 churches in the last 10 years doing this. Like Chris Hodges does it all. And so I'm sitting there just taking notes, and we're asking him questions, and he's giving us answers. And by the end of it, when it's time for him to leave, I was like, yeah, man, I learned a lot. We can go back and do this. And then I was like, actually, I'm just going to write my letter of resignation. Because <laughs> I was like, I am no Chris Hodges. There's only one Chris Hodges. And so at one hand, I'm like inspired, like, yes, you're incredible. I can't believe what God's doing through your life. And then I was like, there's absolutely no way that I can do what you're doing. And so I began to have doubt inside of myself. You've experienced that when you've been around someone in your field that is just the best at what they do. It inspires you and makes you want to quit all at the same time. The disciples, why are they doubting? Because they know what they're supposed to do. They know that they're responsible for ushering in the kingdom of God. They know they're responsible for going out and proclaiming the gospel message. They know that they're responsible for seeing heaven come to earth. That's the mission that Jesus gave them. And as long as Jesus was there, as long as Jesus was leading the way, as long as he was doing all the work and they were just in the background passing out the loaves and fishes, like they're okay with that. But now when it's their turn to step up and they have to do the thing that God's called them to do, now they begin to doubt. And I can identify with them in that. So this is how Jesus responds. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, meaning in light of this fact that I have all power and authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Do you know what Jesus' solution is for you to see breakthrough in your life? It was to come and to go to the cross so that he could receive all power and all authority so that then you could be empowered to do everything that he has called you to do. Every single one of us, we have different assignments, we have different visions and missions that God's given us. There's different roles that we all play, but we all have the same thing that we've been called to. Every one of us has been called to make disciples of all of the nations and to teach people to obey and to become obedient to Jesus and to be baptized. We do it in all different places. You might be a teacher and you have a sphere of influence there. You might be a mom or a dad and you're spending lots of time with your family. You might be whatever it is that you are, whatever your profession is, whatever your calling is, whatever you're putting your hand to, whoever the group of people is that you've been called to, in that area, God is calling you to make disciples of all the nations. But the enemy's coming and he's erecting barriers and he's putting walls up there that will cause you to doubt your ability to do it. There will be things, whether it's in your finances or your marriage or in your health or in uh, fear, insecurity, pride, uh, you know, whatever it might be, there's going to be all of these walls that the enemy keeps building up in your life to keep you from being able to do the thing that God's called you to do, which is to make disciples. 
So Jesus' answer is he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to take all power and all authority. All of it is mine. And now I'm going to empower you to be able to go out and to do this work. Why? Because I am with you. The one who has all power, the one who has all authority, the one who's conquered sin and death, the one who nothing is impossible for, he's the one who is with you. See, breakthrough only comes from the hand of God. What Elisha did in placing his hand on the king's hand as he pulled back the arrow, the arrow, not the arrow, the arrow to be able to launch that out as a sign of God's victory in his life. Now Jesus has come, and even though you're notching the arrow and you're pulling it back in whatever battle it is that you're fighting, whatever you need to see breakthrough in, it's Jesus who comes now when he puts his hand on your hand. He's identifying with you. He's transferring his power and his authority to you for the purpose for which you have been called. We don't fight this on our own. We aren't limited by our own strength. We aren't limited by our own power or by our own might because on our, by ourselves and on our own, we've all figured it out. We can't do it. We come up to the wall and we hit it and we fall down and we cry. And we hit it and we cry and then we give up. But when the living God comes, he puts his hand on your hand as you pull that arrow back, now nothing is impossible for you. Now you can do everything that you need to do to be everything God's called you to be and to do everything that God has called you to do. Why? Because the hand of God is on you for this purpose. And breakthrough always comes by the hand of God. And here's the other thing we need to know that we see from the story, is we fight from victory. This is what it says. He has him shoot out the window. He says, that's the arrow of God's victory in your life. Your enemy has been defeated. You are victorious. Now, has King Jay even fought the battle yet? No, he hasn't picked up a sword. He hasn't drawn up a battle line. He hasn't marched out. He hasn't made any formations. I don't even know that he has a plan. But Elisha says, you're victorious. The battle that you're about to fight, it's not a question of if you're going to win it, if you can win it, if you might win it. You already have the victory. And we need to understand that when we're fighting for breakthrough in our life, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. We're fighting from a position of victory. The victory was already won for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. It was at that place that Jesus became victorious over all things. The enemy was defeated. Now do you know what we're doing? We're going and we're coming against an enemy who's already been defeated, an enemy who's already lost his power and authority in our lives and in this world. He has to be subject and subservient to the will of God and to the power of God, the same God who's placing his hand over our hand as we're going into battle. The victory has already been won. The victory has already been secured. We need to stop hoping that we're going to see breakthrough in our life. We need to stop thinking that it would be really nice if we saw a breakthrough. We need to start believing that we are going to see breakthrough because Jesus has already won the battle. We're fighting from the position of victory in our life. Now, did, did the king still have to grab the sword? Yes, he still had to grab the sword. Did he still have to draw up the formations and the battle lines? Yes, he still had to go and do that. Was, did he still had to go through and endure pain and to endure suffering and to persevere through it. Yes, he still had to do all of those things, but he already knew what the outcome was going to be. See, it's a lot easier to stay in a fight and to persevere in it when you know that the victory has already been won for you. When you're in the battle and you aren't sure that you're going to see victory in it, 
It gets really easy to say, I'm going to cut my losses and run. I'm not going to continue to sacrifice. I'm not going to continue to pay the price because it's not worth it if this all fails. Would the change and transformation that you need in your life so that you can do everything God's called you to do, the answer is victory. You don't have to wonder about that. You don't have to worry about that. You just have to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the one who is victorious over all things. It says that he's been seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father and that every enemy has been made a footstool underneath his feet. What's the enemy that's put up the roadblock in your life? Is it greed, selfishness, insecurity, fear, pride, sexual immorality? Is it that you just don't think you're good enough, you need more wisdom, you need more leadership ability? Uh, what is the, the thing that the enemy has put in there? You need to remember that the proper position for you is victory and the proper position for every enemy is under the feet of Jesus who's reigning and ruling over them. This isn't a hope of the future that we have. This is the reality that exists right now in the spiritual realm. We just have to grab the bow and the arrow and allow God to put his hand to ours and to fight from that position of victory so that you will endure, so that you won't give up, and you're going to keep on going on and pressing in and pressing on for the breakthrough in your life that you need to do everything God has called you to do. And then it goes on to say this. And then he said, Now pick up other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. But now you will be victorious only three times. Now what Elisha is saying through this is that the victory you will walk in is equal to your grit and determination. When Elisha had him strike the ground with the arrows, that doesn't mean actually hitting the ground with arrows. What it means is to, to shoot arrows into the ground. He's already shot the arrow through the window that was the arrow of God's victory in his life. And now what Elisha's doing is I want you to start shooting the arrows into the ground. It's symbolic of I'm shooting into the enemy. And he doesn't say shoot once or twice or three times. He just says start shooting into the ground. And remember, the king has just shot and knows that this is all symbolic of victory for him. So he goes there and he's getting more victory. He shoots one more time into the enemy. Pulls it, draws one more time, notches it one more time, and releases. After three times, he's like, all right, it's a lot of victory. I think I'm good. And he stops. And Elisha flips out on him. Because you see, the way that he commanded him was to keep doing this, to keep shooting until Elisha said to stop. But the king, you know, has already got one victory. After three times, I think that's enough victory in my life. This is what happens. Is when you start getting a little bit of victory in your life, you start seeing some breakthrough over whatever it is that you're going through and needing God to come in. It gets easy to, to become like the king, to get complacent. Say, you know what? That's enough victory. I think I've got this problem pretty well solved. I can move on to the next thing now. The king lost his hunger. He didn't want to see his enemy completely demolished and destroyed, never to rise up against him again. He was okay with just a couple of victories over him. And so Elisha says, all right, you were content with three victories. That's all the victory that you're going to get over this. And then after that, you're going to end up being in the place where you're harassed and where you're hounded and where you're subjected once again 
to the attacks of the enemy and your enemy will have power over you in your life once again because you lost your hunger, because you lost your grit, because you lost your edge. One of the worst things that can happen to any sports team is to be successful. You see this happen time and time again. The team does really well. They've never won a championship. They won that championship. This isn't a story about the Lions. We all know that's never going to happen. <laughs> They've already lost their edge, and they never even got to taste the victory. But what happens is in a team, they win the championship. The next year, what happens? They rarely repeat. Same players, the same personnel, same gifts, same talent, same ability, same coach, everything. What's different? They've been satisfied by victory. And you lose your edge. And you don't contend. And you don't fight like you used to fight. You know who the best hunters are in the whole world? The people that are hungry. I mean, me, like, you can tell I'm not hungry. Like, if I was to go out and hunt, which I don't, because I cried when I shot a squirrel and decided hunting wasn't for me. But I'd go out there and I'd be like, this is some really beautiful foliage. I mean, look at these colors. This is great. And like, tramps around. Well, okay, I didn't see anything. Yes, I'm going to go back inside. If you're hungry and you don't have any food that you're going back to, you're going to stay out there. It doesn't matter how cold it is or how hot it is or how desolate it is or how you're not seeing any game. You're going to stay out there because you are hungry and you know that you need food. This is what happens when we know that we need victory over our life. When we're at this place of where we're desperate and we recognize, God, I am just completely in bondage to this sin issue in my life. God, I have been completely waylaid by this trap of the enemy, by this stronghold that's been erected inside of my life that's keeping me from following after you. We get to that place, and we're like, Jesus, like I'm just going to keep shooting into that enemy and praying and believing for victory. Give me victory, Jesus. And then you see the victory, and they can be like, all right, I'm full. I'm good. If maybe one of the things you need to break through in your marriage, or breakthrough is, is in your marriage, you're like, oh, God, do something in my marriage. And then you go out on one date night, and it goes really well, and you're all lovey-dovey and forgiving of each other. You're like, my marriage is fixed. Like, shot the enemy. We got a little victory. Let's move on to the next thing. How many of you know that that one date isn't, the, like, the final battle that you're going to fight in your marriage? It's coming back and saying, I'm going to continue. I'm, God, thank you for the victory. Like, we had a date night, and it was awesome. Jesus, thank you for that but I'm coming back and I'm going to keep shooting the enemy of my marriage over and over and over again until that enemy never gets back up and never comes back to attack me or my life or the call of God on me. Uh, maybe it's a pride thing, and this is the one I relate to really well because even though you wouldn't think it to look at me because there's nothing to be proud about by looking at me, like I'm a proud guy, and this is an area where God has to continue to work in my life and to work in my heart. But this is what proud people do. God, humble me. God, would you bend my heart, bring me into submission? And you shoot that one arrow in, and you're like, yes, victory. I'm the best. I'm the most victorious person that ever existed. I'm so humble. Thank you, Jesus. Now I can move on to the next thing. And the pride's right back again. Every day it's like, God, like rend my heart. God, break me every day. God, forgive me of my pride. God, continue to humble me. And every single day, coming back and drawing and releasing into the enemy of my soul and the enemy of God's call in my life until the point we can see the enemy can never get back up and he's completely vanquished and I never have to deal with it again, which will be the day that I walk into the pearly gates. But what is the enemy, what has he done in your life and how has he maybe made you think that you've seen the victory You've got enough victory in your life, and now you can become complacent. Now you can move on. Now you can do something else. 
Or maybe for you, what's happened is you saw some victory, you got complacent about it, and now the enemy's come back. When the enemy comes back, what happens is we begin to compromise our faith. So when you've seen victory in an area and you got content and you got full and you lost your hunger, and the enemy, he sees that opportunity and he'll come back and he'll attack again. He'll throw that roadblock back up. And you'll start feeling shame. You'll start feeling guilt about the fact that you got back to this place that Jesus had already seen victory in your life about, that you got complacent in and allowed the enemy to sneak back in and take you right back to the place where you had been living. Maybe you'll start saying, this is all I'll ever experience. I'm not going to see full breakthrough in this place. So I'm just going to be happy with what I had and move on and not hope for any more. God, this is always going to be a barrier that's in my life. That's always going to be something that's keeping me from doing what you've called me to do. That's going to keep me from seeing full and total breakthrough in my life. Now, something that, that I've been dealing with in that area is my health. And I've been very public about my health struggles. And you're all probably thinking, oh, great, it's another goat or another pancreas story. It's all I've got. So you'll just have to work with me on it. It was going to be three years ago now in May that I had my surgery. And uh, it was incredible. It was the fastest recovery that U of M had ever seen. And uh, I was like the poster child for recovering from a Whipple surgery. And it was great for two weeks. And then the pain attack started to come. And it'd be four or five of these a day. just take me to the ground. And I'd just be crying and writhing around on the ground. And I'd have to like go hide from the kids so they wouldn't see me doing this and freak out. And my wife's crying. And four or five times a day, I lost 40 pounds uh, just because like, I was just scared to eat at all. And I was just weak. And you know, it was just in a bad place. And I wasn't making any plans or anything, but I let some of my friends know, like, hey, I don't know how long I can live like this. The pain is so excruciating, and I was depressed about it. I was living in anxiety and fear about when's the next pain attack going to come and hit me. And when they had hit, I'm like, Jesus, like, just kill me. Like, I don't want to go through this anymore. Either just heal me miraculously or just take me home. Your choice. I don't really care at this point, but I just don't want to do this anymore. And this went on. And then Brother Abraham, uh, I was with him, and he was just like, hey, we're eating. He's like, hey, is this going to hurt your stomach? And I was like, yeah, this is going to hurt. Like, don't call the doctor, ambulance, or anything. Like, I'll be okay. I just have to, like, go through the attack. And he's like, Jesus healed Jeremy's belly. He just put his hand on my belly and then went back to eating a sandwich. <laughs> All right. Like, I was hoping for some more these and nows and cursing things, <laughs> canceling assignments. I was like, I'm going to test out my, I'm going to, like, test out my healing, right? So I have a D's Cuban conundrum from Zingerman's Deli. This service brought to you by, no. And so, like, I take a bite. I'm like, oh, it's so good. And I ate half the sandwich. And I just, like, waited to see what was going to happen. And a couple hours later, after he leaves, I'm like, Anna, like, I ate half a sandwich. I'm like, this is amazing. I don't have any pain. And then I ate the other half of a sandwich because I was a fool. And, like, there's still no pain. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I've been, like, victory in my life because God called me to pastor this church. He's given me vision for the places that he's taking this church, a vision for my marriage and for my children and what he's going to do in them. But my health was such a roadblock. It was keeping me from being able to do anything at all. We weren't advancing the vision. We were just trying to survive. We were just hoping to get through every single day without the church closing. And then I start walking in victory. Thank you, Jesus. And this goes on for, like, a year. And then one night, the pain comes, 
and it's worse than it's ever been before. And I'm just crying, and I'm vomiting, and I'm rolling around on the ground, and we have to call 911 because I'm losing consciousness, and Anna thinks I'm dying, I think I'm dying. And they get to the hospital, and then I get out, and, and then it happens again, and, and it happens again. And I remember when we got the building, uh, the Thursday night before our first service here, I was here, and then I went home because I started feeling funny, and the same thing again, I ended up in the hospital that night because I'm passing out, losing consciousness, and excruciating pain. And then a couple weeks later, the same thing happens again. It was on the April 28th, and I was here by myself and drove myself to the hospital. And I started thinking, this is the new reality for my life. Like, Jesus, I'm thankful that I'm alive. And I'll be healed one day when I enter into heaven. But I just got to survive like this and accept the reality that I can't do a lot of things anymore. Maybe I won't be able to pastor this church. Maybe I'm going to have to quit. Maybe I have to turn over to someone else that has the health to be able to do it. Maybe I won't raise my children. Maybe I won't grow old with my wife. That was just the reality I began to accept. And a couple days later, we had our Arise Shine conference. And I was there, and the speaker said, hey, I believe God's here to heal. If you need healing in your body, just stand up, and the people around you, let's pray over them. In that moment, something stirred up inside of me again and said, Jesus, I need healing. God, I need you to break through this area of my life so that I can do everything that you've called me to do. And I stood up there, and the team that was around me, they prayed for me, and that was since then, April 28th of last year, was the last time I've had any of these pain attacks because God came and responded to my hunger and broke through. What if I'd stayed content? What if I kept that mindset of this is just the new reality for my life? God, thank you for partial breakthrough. But I'm not going to ask anymore. I'm done notching the arrow and I'm done shooting into the ground. Maybe I wouldn't be here now. Maybe I wouldn't be doing this. What happens if I go home today and another pain attack hits me and I go to the hospital? And you know what I do tomorrow? And every day after that, I may never see full and complete healing this side of eternity, but I don't have to. But every day I'm going to come and I'm going to notch the arrow and I'm going to release. It might be that your marriage is always going to be difficult, but every day you come back and you pull the arrow because you're not satisfied with that kind of a marriage. You want the good marriage God created you to have. It might be that you're continuing to struggle with this sin issue, and it might always be a temptation for you, but every day you wake up and you notch the arrow and you shoot it back into the enemy because you're not content. You're still hungry for the fullness of everything that God has for you, the fullness of everything God's called you to be and everything that he's called you to do. We can't ever lose our hunger. We can't ever compromise our faith for what it is that he's called us to do. We have to continue to stay hungry to see victory. We have to continue to stay hungry to see breakthrough in our life. And we have to believe in our heart of hearts that it's not by our own power, it's not by our own might, our own strength that we do this, but it's the hand of the living God that's come alongside of us. It's the living God who dwells in us. It's the living God who walks with us every step along the way because nothing is impossible for him. And he is with us always, even to the end of this age, because we've been called to make disciples of all nations. We've been called to see people all over this beautiful earth that he's created enter into the life and the freedom that he bought for them on the cross. And the enemy is going to put up roadblocks and barriers. He's going to say, this is as far as you can go. Just get content. Just compromise. Just accept what it is. But God's calling you to turn your eyes towards him. He's calling you to believe that he is the God of breakthrough. 
and that the assignments and the calls and the purposes that he has for your life, they haven't been canceled out. The wall might be real, but the God who smashes through that wall is even more real. Breakthrough comes from the hand of God. Let him put his hand over your hand. Fight from the place of victory. And never get content. Never be content with the amount of victory you have until that enemy is completely defeated. Would you stand with me this morning? There's some of you here this morning and you need breakthrough. The issue is real. God knows what it is. It's bigger than you. It's stronger than you. You can't do it in and of yourself. There's something that's keeping you from being and from doing everything God created you to be and doing everything he created you to do. If you're at that place this morning where you're stuck up against something and you need the hand of God to come on, on you, if you're at that place of where you need to, to have a change of your mindset of that you're fighting from victory, maybe that place of where you've lost that hunger, maybe you've compromised and said, this is as much victory as I can see this morning, would you raise your hand? I mean, I'm raising, my, I'm raising both hands because I have things that I need to see breakthrough in. This is a sign before God of God, I need you. I need the Lord of the breakthrough. Jesus, for every person here this morning who's responding, for every person here whose faith is being raised, God, would you come? Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would put your hand on theirs. Jesus, I pray that you would come and that you would stir up faith and boldness in their heart to once again pick up the bow and to notch the arrow believing that you're the God who's with them, that you're the God who never fails them, that you're the God who's supernaturally empowering breakthrough in their life, that you're the God who's going to break through every barrier that the enemy has set up to keep them from being the daughter or the son that you created them to be, keep them from doing the good works that you've created them to do. God, that's keeping them from receiving the love of the Heavenly Father over their life and that new identity that comes from you. And Jesus, I pray that hunger would be stirred up inside of our hearts, that we would never compromise, that we never settle, but that, God, we would just continue to press in to see your kingdom come and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And until we see heaven and earth aligned perfectly, Jesus, give us the courage and the determination to keep fighting, to keep notching, to keep pressing in, and to keep pressing on, Jesus, to see total victory in our lives so that you might be made famous, so that you would receive glory, and so that we would see brothers and sisters added to this beautiful family that you're creating. Stir it up in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. And they're going to be on the outsides in the front here. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, come. Let us pray with you. We see Jesus move miraculously every single week in response to the prayers of his people. And we want to get to know you. We want to encourage you. We want to walk with you through whatever it is that you're going through. I also encourage you, uh, Thursday night, uh, 8 o'clock, we're in here, and we're praying for breakthrough. We're praying for each other. We're praying for the church. We're praying for our city. Come out, worship, and pray with us. 
Uh, and then also this, if you missed out on signing up for a breakthrough group, um, a lot of them are full right now, but there's still some groups that have some space. I'd encourage you, get in a group. Everything I've heard this week was people saying, I can't believe we were able to be real with each other and transparent. Do you know what's a miracle when we can be real and transparent with other people? Do you know what a burden is lifted from our hearts when we're able to be real about where we're at and what we're facing and how we need God to move in our life and the encouragement that comes from that? Like, that's a miracle in and of itself, and it's something that's only found in Christian community. You need it. So I encourage you over the next five weeks, get in a group. They meet once a week for about an hour and a half at a time. You'll make friends. You'll be encouraged. You'll be able to use your gifts to encourage other people. You absolutely won't regret it. You can sign up at Guest Central on the iPads there or radiant82.com under the groups page. But get in a group. Come pray with us Thursday night, and we'll see you next Sunday morning. God bless.